in the chat room at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. You're going to want to head to the chat room because right now I have the one and only Dr. E. Michael Jones, who does not need an introduction from an amateur piker like me, but I will do my best to give him one. His latest book is out. It is called Logos Rising. We're going to talk about that. He's been a guest of Brother Andre Marie's on Reconquest. As a matter of fact, just two weeks ago or one week ago, he was on Reconquest. He's been my guest twice now. He's a former neighbor of the Sodomite, Mayor Pete of South Bend, Indiana. Uh, there's a great video on YouTube you can watch with Dr. Jones and I talking about uh, Mayor Pete and his pinko, Kami Faustian, or is it Fabian, socialist father. So without further ado, blessed and honored to have Dr. E. Michael Jones with us on the program. Dr. Jones, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Do you have your Do you have your Indiana Jones hat on? So when I call you Doctor Jones, we all get the visual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, That's good. By the way, I have to correct you. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is still my neighbor. Oh, he's still your neighbor. He's back in town. Yeah, he's not going to become president of the United States of America. <laughs> well, thank the Lord. <laughs> so he's back home in South Bend, Indiana now. Well, uh, uh, a town in which he helped make the abortion capital of Indiana, right? Yeah, he overturned. Actually, the the, uh, the liberal uh, city council uh, had to be overturned because they wouldn't give the new abortion clinic a uh, a, a waiver uh, for their new clinic, and he ha had to overturn that. So, no, he's back in town. I, I have mixed feelings. I was hoping he'd become president so that we get rid of him, but he's back in town. <laughs> uh, gosh, there's so many places where we could start. Let's start here. Um, your new book, Logos Rising, we'll talk about the book, but I encourage everyone to go watch the video because you get into a sub subject that I had not heard you get into before, but I was very pleased to, 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 to hear you or to see you in the video uh, actually get into it. And just as a way of introduction, uh, I was asked by the French journalist Olivier Bourrier uh, who was putting together this Ukraine Gate series on what the Bidens actually did in Ukraine and about all the, the criminal activity there. I was asked if they had a French guy who could speak English doing the English voiceovers or translations. He was really bad at it. So I had mentioned it, and then they asked me if I would volunteer to be the voice of the uh, uh, of Ukraine Gate, and I am. I am the, the narrator and the translator of Ukraine Gate 5, four, five, and six. And I can tell you, I got three hours worth of an earful of going through all the oligarchs and how the oligarchy works in Ukraine. So I am intimately now familiar with the issue. I wouldn't have been three weeks, uh, three, uh, three months ago. So when you started getting into the oligarchy pushing back and that this COVID-19 madness is the oligarchy's uh, uh, doing, I had a better understanding than, I, than most, I think. But I want you to explain, and uh, you can start at the beginning or wherever you want to pick up from there. Yeah, well, uh, if you go on Google today, uh, you'll see uh, one of the headlines is, scientists say coronavirus won't end with warmer weather, while U.S. plans for life under a new normal. Well, you know, the, the argument's over. The discussion's over. As soon as they say a scientist said it, that's it. That's what it. am I supposed to say? You know, and then we have uh, further down on the same thing. We have Bill Gates, who may be a scientist or not, but uh, he's saying 
This is how long it may take uh, before Americans can be completely safe from COVID-19. Well, first of all, who who elected Bill Gates our leader? And secondly, can I I, uh, disagree with a scientist? Why, Why can't I disagree with a scientist? Well, because the scientist has ultimate reality. He's the guy who decides ultimate reality. And that's part of what I'm trying to contest with this Logos book. We've been, we've been living under this tyranny for too long. It just had a, a new type of outbreak here with the COVID virus thing, where a, whole, a group of completely unelected people who wrapped this mantle around their shoulder are now going to overthrow representative government in the United States of America and create this kind of medical fascist tyranny, telling us when we're allowed to go out and when we're not allowed to go out, based on what? <clears throat> and it turns out... <clears throat> If you listen to people, who, uh, a lot of people who do have actual scientific credentials, they're saying the opposite of what these people are saying. <clears throat> this is, <clears throat> one of the things that this has done is restored my faith in, in German, <clears throat> German professors. They all seem to be reasonable. Everyone I've listened to seems to be reasonable. They're saying that this is a, uh, a seasonal thing. It may be worse. <clears throat> But it may be it's going to end when the seasonal flu usually ends and so on and so forth. So it's kind of shaping up into a battle between the people who claim to have science on their side and the people who, <clears throat> I'm saying, have Logos on their side. Yeah, Logos- one of the doctors, uh, Dr. Jones, is Professor, <coughs> uh, Professor Klaus Puschel. You can read this at the Swiss uh, Propaganda Research Doctor's site. Professor Klaus Buschel, I read this to you guys yesterday in the first hour, head of forensic medicine in Hamburg, Dr. Jones, says this, quote, This virus influences our lives in a completely excessive way. This is disproportionate to the danger posed by the virus. And the astronomical economic damage now being caused is not commensurate with the danger uh, posed by the virus. I am convinced that the corona mortality rate will not even show up as a peak in annual mortality. So that's one German scientist. You scroll down a little further, you get the German virologist, Hendrik Streeck, is currently conducting a pilot study to determine the distribution and transmission rates of COVID-19 pathogen. In an interview, he explains, quote, I took a closer look at the cases of 31 of the 40 people who died in the Heinsberg district. It was not very surprised that these people died. One of the deceased was older than 100 years old. So even a common call would have led to his death. Now, I'm with you. The, the, the Germans, it seems, for the first time, are actually on the right side of this. No, they seem to be all, all reasonable. One of them just said the other day, well, I don't get my money from the government. And I think that's, <laughs> that's part of the problem here. We've got, first of all, who is Anthony Fauci? Does anybody remember Anthony Fauci and the AIDS debacle? Yep. I mean, this is a man who fast-tracked AZT, which killed more homosexuals than, than the Ayatollah and Hitler combined. Wow. And, and, and the, the, you read the, 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 uh, gay, the Washington Blade, the homosexual press, and they're praising the guy. This is absolutely crazy. This is absolutely crazy. We're giving away all of our constitutional rights and freedoms on the say-so of a group of people who, who were proven wrong before and have no basis for what they're saying now. So it's, it's shaping up, it seems to me, to be a battle between these German scientists on the one hand and the, uh, the oligarchs and the people who pay their bills on the other. 
And and their plan, it, I, just as that Bill Gates uh, headline said, their plan is to stretch it out as long as possible. It seems to be pretty clear. Every time, uh, not only Bill Gates, it's Fauci is saying the same thing. And then we have Jeffrey Sachs. Do you remember Jeffrey Sachs? I do. Jeffrey Sachs, the man who looted Russia, uh, the man who killed the economy in Bolivia and brought Evo Morales, the communist, to power in reaction to what he did. And now he's weighing in, and he's saying, well, we have to put it in the hands of Anthony Fauci. Oh, good Lord. Well, it sounds as if they've they've got a plan here. They've got a plan for us, and and, uh, we have no say-so in this plan. So get back to the get back to the point. We have had a struggle between science and religion for centuries, for centuries now, and the church for the past few centuries has been on the losing side of this battle because the scientists can say, "I have ultimate reality on my side." So the man who was famous for doing this was Bertrand Russell. In the 1920s, he gave up being a serious philosopher. And he just decided he was going to be a popularizer. And he was the man who determined what ultimate reality was. Well, that's, that's what the battle here is right now. And the church has, has simply rolled over and played dead. And the, church, the church has completely capitulated to the, the, the demands of these scientists as, as funneled through the governor of the state of Indiana, for example. And by the way, I am not complaining because Indiana is probably better than most places on Earth because we uh, we go out, everybody walks, takes walks in the afternoon. The bike paths are crowded with people. You know, they're 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 allowing life to go on to a certain extent. But one of the things that we don't have here is uh, mass. Can't go to mass. Sorry, can't go to mass. But we can watch it on television. So great. Hey, uh, uh, Dr. Jones, uh, so you've been interviewed a couple times by Brother Andre, so I know you know of uh, Father Leonard Finney, which means I know you know of Brother Francis Malouf. Uh, Brother Francis Malouf thought that Bertrand, Ru- Bertrand Russell Bertrand Russell was one of the greatest threats to sane, rational, scholastic, uh, Thomistic thinking uh, of the whole 20th century. You agree with that? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, there is a great uh, YouTube video out there and it's a debate between Bertrand Russell and Frederick Copleston. Frederick Copleston was the English Jesuit who wrote one of the best histories of philosophy. It came out in the 1960s when I was in college. And it comes down to a debate about the existence of God. And Copleston just trashes Bertrand Russell. <laughs> it's embarrassing. <laughs> Russell cannot keep up with Copleston. <clears throat> it's basically, you know, there is uh, something... This something couldn't have come into existence by itself, couldn't bring itself into existence, because it would have to exist before it existed. So therefore, something else had to bring it into existence, and everybody calls that God. But Russell doesn't know what to say. And at the end of it, he says, well, I think we should change the subject. <laughs> it was devastating. It was devastating, and especially when you think of how powerful Russell was as the explicator of ultimate reality. The WASP ruling class in this country uh, loved Bertrand Russell. They absolutely loved him ever since uh, Cardinal Spellman prevented him from getting a job in New York City. He became the hero of the WASP ruling class. But, he, he, you know, he, when it came to ultimate reality, he, he believed in science, and he believed that there were little balls <clears throat> called atoms, 
and they bumped into each other, and that explained everything. Well, that's preposterous. I mean, it's one more instance of these myths that science creates to basically exert control over you. Because if a scientist says it, you can't argue. It's the, that's the end of the discussion. So America Magazine now, which is the, the uh, Catholic outpost for the ruling class in America, for the oligarchs, they run a, uh, an article and it says, I'm, I'm not making this up, the title is, I am a scientist. We have to shut down mass. I saw that. I am a scientist. We have to shut down mass. Uh, hey, I'm laity. I'm going to roll you in tar and then feathers and throw you in Boston Harbor. How do you like me now? Well, they put, the point is, well, uh, why, did they, why did they say it that way? Well, the Jesuits at uh, America Magazine have completely internalized the commands of their oppressors. They are a fifth column in the church representing oligarchic interests. It's that simple, and this is the way they do it. I am a scientist, so shut up. <laughs> Dr. E. Michael Jones is on our Dude Maker Hotline. The new book is called Logos Rising. You did this last time uh, you were on the show, but since the book is out, will, uh, will you explain Logos? Let's start there with the, the book. Just a simple, uh, The simple explanation you gave us last time was fantastic. And a lot of people got uh, uh, were intrigued by that because they'd never heard it before. So when you say Logos Rising uh, in the title, uh, just explain to the average listener or viewer out there on YouTube what you mean. Yeah, Logos is a Greek word, uh, and uh, it's translated as word a lot of time, most of the time. Uh, but when I when I studied Greek, I opened the, the dictionary, and there are columns after column of of words that we just don't associate. We don't have. We didn't know. We don't have a word like logos. Logos is the most important word in the history of the world. It's that simple. And it began with the Greeks trying to understand the universe and trying to say, well, you know, it seems to be an orderly place. Uh, and, you know, it's complicated, but it's orderly. And the word they came up for that order was logos. So it means order. It means the order of the universe. It means speech. It means rationality. It means all of those things. It means this is what distinguishes us from animals, that we have this ability to understand the universe in a way that they don't. They react. We, we are proactive in dealing with the universe because we have logos. Now, this became even more important when St. John decided to write his gospel in Greek because the first three sentences of his gospel are, in the beginning there was... Logos, and Logos was with God, and Logos is God. Now, it's translate. that's obviously not the way it comes in English. It's in the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. Well, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> you just don't know what that means. You can read it over and over and over again. Right. And it's no different than any, any other uh, modern European language, or even Latin. In principio erat verbum. I'm anfang vadas vort. It's all the same. The only word that shows the, the richness of this is the word logos, which is why I put it in the title. I'm trying to resurrect this word. So, so at this point, the whole St. John takes this whole tradition of Greek philosophy, and he says, this was worth doing. This was worth doing, and we're going to continue it, but we're going to raise it to a new level, because now we're saying that logos is God. And that's something you didn't understand. And I'm saying that he did this because uh, St. Paul 
got kicked out of the synagogues. The Jews kicked him out of the synagogues, and he realized, I've got to speak to the Greeks. And he went over there, and he went spoke at the Areopagus, and I think he gave the wrong speech. It failed. The Greeks uh, said, he said, you know, there's this man crucified. And they said, and he rose from the dead. And they all said, what? He rose from the dead? Well, we'll, we'll talk about that later. We'll see you later. And he walked out. <laughs> and I think, and, and, and Paul went to uh, Corinth after that. And he, he had better success with uh, whores and, and sailors than he had with the philosophers because he didn't begin at the beginning. And I think St. John knew that, and I said, he said, now that we're talking to the, the big world, the Greek world, we're going to have to begin at the beginning. And he, that's what he said. In the beginning, there was Logos. And I think if, if St. Paul had said that in the Areopagus, he would have gotten a better response. And I think that's why God, John wrote the Gospel. And when he did, suddenly, this was the whole world he's, we're talking about. We're not, it's not just a Jewish sect anymore run by St. Peter in Jerusalem, who couldn't speak couldn't speak anything but uh, but uh, Hebrew. He, he couldn't speak Greek. Now this is for the whole world, and Logos is the the image for the entire world, because that's what the entire world has in common. We all have this rationality in common, and now it's time to kind of push aside this pseudo-rationality that is tyrannizing us at this moment, right. and that pseudo-rationality is called science. Science says it. Shut up. I'm a scientist. Shut up. Do what I say. Stay inside forever. This has got to end. We've yes. got to end this. And this is, so this is my attempt at liberating people from this tyranny that's got them locked down all over the world right now. Okay, uh, just one small point, and I'm sure you can confirm this, but in my Douay Rheims hardbound uh, Bible, which says, uh, Latin on the left and English on the right, I believe. Maybe I have that backwards. <laughs> uh, at the start of St. John's Gospel, there's a paragraph where the translator gave a little, uh, a little history of how the Gospel came about. And uh, in the little history, it said that St. John the Evangelist, seeing some of the deficiencies in the previous Gospels, was asked by people to write this uh, this gospel for like 40 years, and he, and he kept deferring. He kept saying, no, 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 we got gospels. And finally, he prayed, and the Holy Ghost told him, write it, I will guide thy hand. That's pretty much the summary of uh, the introduction in the Douay Rheims. So it makes sense of what you're saying, that St. John the Evangelist is sitting there going like, well, maybe the first three didn't get the whole story out. I was kind of there. Uh, but he re the, the interesting point to me, Dr. Jones, is that St. John Evangelist resisted until the Holy Ghost inspired him to do so. And I take a lot of solace in that, knowing that that's divinely inspired writ right there, brother. Right, right. And in, in a sense, it, it, it makes sense. <laughs> I'm telling you the Holy Spirit makes sense. That's good. <laughs> but I mean, basically, what is St. Matthew's be, uh, gospel begins with a genealogy. Well, it's a, it's a Hebrew genealogy. The Greeks aren't going to know who these dudes are. Who is who are these people? You know, it doesn't make any sense to them. You have to have a, a way of dealing with the entire world, with the the big world, the secular world, however you want to describe it. And that's the, that's why logos is important because that's the key to entering into that world and that tradition. The church is saying that was a good thing that they did that, and we're going to rescue what was good. And we'll refine what was bad, and then we'll carry that tradition on. And that is the tradition. So it began outside of, it began 
700 years before Christ with people like Thales saying that everything's water. You know what I mean? And this, this is, it, it continues after that. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that it, it continued beyond Christianity. Christianity took it over and changed it forever. It changed it forever in a way that no one could have suspected, because when you say Logos is with God and Logos is God, what do you mean by that? Well, the answer is you're talking about the Trinity. And the Trinity changed Logos. It changed human thought. And from that point on, it took, it took you know, centuries to figure out what that meant. But once they figured it out, you had to get on board with that, or else you, the, the train left the station without you. And the classic example of a, a, a group where that got left behind was, was Islam. Because they got their idea of Christ, the Logos incarnate, from the Nestorian heretics, and they didn't believe that Jesus Christ was God. And that caused problems with Islam. And Islam, it, it was a superior culture. I've, I've told my Iranian friends many times that the, the Persians were astronomers and philosophers when my ancestors were chasing pigs through the forest of Germany, which is true. But for some reason, uh, the, the pig chasers caught up. And the reason they caught up was because they had Christianity and they had Catholicism. They had that understanding of Logos that the, the Muslims did not have. So the Muslims had all the advantages. They had, uh, uh, they had Aristotle before the West had Aristotle, and they couldn't, simply couldn't surmount that problem. And so history passed them by. And the, the, the guy who resolved the, that, their problems for them was St. Thomas Aquinas. I was going to say, St. Thomas, right, right. Who got his, got his understanding of Aristotle from Averroes. And, 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 then, and then went on to solve Averroes' problem. That, that was the difference. He could solve it in a way that Averroes could not. And just another point on that about the Persians, Dr. Jones. You know, every uh, epiphany... Catholics around the world, uh, they should, go to Mass, and then we hear uh, about the three wise men. Well, if you read the, um, the visions, if you will, or the revelations given to, to now blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, she sees very clearly that Melchior is an astronomer, and he's from Persia. So right. uh, the, and, and, and now just the idea here uh, for your average uh, neocon Zi uh, 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 modern Zionist today is that Persia, Iran, basically, that Persia is a spot on the map that needs to be eradicated. And I'm like, I hear that, I'm like, who the hell do you think you are? Persia antedates us. What are you talking about? We need to eliminate Iran. You can't eliminate the Persians. This is madness here. Do you write about this in the book? Yes, I do. I mean, but, but most people, if you ask them, they'd probably say, yeah, the Iranians are Arabs. No. Well, no, they're not Arabs. They're Persians, and Persia was an ancient culture, and and it was a, an ancient civilization. Uh, and uh, the, at the time, you know, when my ancestors are uh, chasing pigs through the forest of Germany, the Arabs are raising camels and goats. That's what they're good at. Up till 1973, uh, the main 80% of the population of Saudi Arabia earned its living from animal husbandry. So it's not a it's it's not a a high culture. Okay, but they, they conquered Persia. 
And that's the problem here. That's the problem with, with Iran. They basically, you can read, I mean, I've had lots of conversations with Iranians, and this woman told me they, they, they are very proud of their poetry. They have the greatest poetry in the world, Hafez and people like that, and I've read some of their poetry, and it's beautiful. Well, one of the great epic poets is uh, Ferdowsi, and he wrote an epic called the Shahnameh. And every Persian, every Iranian child reads this in school. In the expurgated version, you have to read it because it's a huge poem. And then they go to a bookstore and they buy the full version. And it turns out Ferdowsi didn't like Islam at all. He felt it was the biggest catastrophe that ever took place in Persian culture to be conquered by the Arabs. And they had their inferior culture imposed on them. And it's been that way for centuries now. And this is a, 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 a huge problem uh, in, per, in, in, in Iranian culture. They have this dualistic nature uh, that, you know, uh, that goes all the way back to Zoroastrianism in a way. But, I mean, they've got a huge conflict between science and religion. And, well, welcome to ev- That's the problem in the entire world. Sure is. So I got, so I gave a, I, I was in Tehran and I, I go into this mosque and I thought I'm going to meet the imam. They take me up to the imam's chair and I give a lecture in the mosque. And I'll, you know, lecture about sexual liberation, political control. So afterwards, the imam takes me out and we go to lunch and he says to me, are there any scientific studies to back up the claim that sexual liberation leads to political control? I thought, what are you talking about? You know, what do you do? Expose rats to pornography or something? <laughs> what, what do you? What do you think? What do you? What do you mean by scientific study? Well, I think what he meant to say was, is it real? Is what you said real? Is what you said true? Because the only this is a, an imam, a man who is a clergyman in uh, in the Islamic faith, who's asking me about scientific studies. He clearly believes that scientists. Science gives you the uh, allows you to say what is real. That is clearly what he believes, and that's part of the problem that they have in, in Iran. And it's a problem all over the world. It's not just Iran. It's a problem all over the world. And I think it's a problem we have right now because I think, to be honest with you, the bishops look to the scientists to tell them what is real. Wow, that's dangerous, dangerous territory. Uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones is on our Jewmaker Hotline here on the Mike Church on the Crusade Channel. Uh, fact over fear, your news talk and COVID-19 conspiracy headquarter here. Uh, glad to have Dr. Jones to talk about this. Uh, one point about about the Persians, just quickly, if anybody's wondering about this, is it, it's one of the, the female uh, prophetess. It's either Ruth, Judith, or I'm trying to think of the other one. But the story uh, involves a Persian, Xerxes. And it's in the Old Testament. So we also know that Persia antedates the... <laughs> when someone says, eliminate the Persians, I'm like, what? You, you mean the people from the Old 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 Testament? I mean, it just it makes no sense. But I want to move on because we're going to run out of time. In the video that I watch about the book Logos Rising, first of all, we don't have it in our store. We're going to get it. But where can somebody go get a copy of Logos Rising today? Go to culturewars.com. And we, the books arrived last week. We're shipping them out. We have a big backlog, but we're shipping them out every day. So the book is available right now. Okay. Go, go to culturewars.com. And you can also subscribe to the magazine then, right, Culture yes, Wars? Yes, you can subscribe to Culture Wars there. It is not in Amazon. We're going to take 
uh, send them to our own people. The people have signed up with us first. So you have to go to culturewars.com. Good for you. Don't don't send them to Amazon. Send them, send them to me. I'll place an order today. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, you, in the video, you talked about the oligarchs and the oligarchy. And there's a couple of things you mentioned. I was in France last summer. And I saw the yellow, uh, the yellow vest. Saw him. I, as a matter of fact, I was in a traffic jam that was called by the yellow, caused by the yellow vest. I asked the French guy that I was with to tell me a little bit about the yellow vest. They're bad guys, right? And he goes, well, no, no, not necessarily. He told me that there are antifa leftist wacko lunatics that are yellow vests. But he told me that the yellow vest originally were basically the agribusiness people in the French villages that were uh, uh, that were revolting against Macron, trying to force them into these subsidy programs. Basically, it, uh, now you talk about this in the video video uh, about the French oligarchy and Macron and what they did to cause the Yellow Vest uprising. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, as I understand that they tried to Macron tried to raise the price of gasoline. Okay, uh, uh, put a tax on gasoline to pay off. Yes, he, he's a, he's a puppet of the of the creditor class. Uh, everybody knows that uh, he is working for their interest against the interest of the, of the French people, and he tried to make, make the French people who were already on the brink of insolvency to pay off the, the the problem debts and so on and so forth. And they rebelled, and they've been on the streets in France since nine uh, since two thousand eighteen. Well, the, guess what? The coronavirus solved that problem for Macron. Sure did. Because now, if we look, I'm a scientist. You have to go home. <laughs> I'm a scientist. You can't argue with scientists, you know. And so they, they, he locked them down, and now you have to download a permission slip in order to go out on the streets again. So this is an answer to prayer. I'm sure he's an atheist, but if he prayed to God, this would be an answer to his prayers. Now he's even showing his hand even more because it turns out that there's the, the foremost virologist in France uh, says that chloroquine will, will, will cure this. It's a malaria uh, drug. Well, this is not the plan. The plan is to follow Dr. Levy. Dr. Levy is the husband of Bouzine, who is the minister of health. And guess what they want? They want a vaccine. This is, this is the oligarch plan. We have to have a vaccine. Right. Except Fauci's saying the same thing. We have to lock people down as long as possible, uh, first of all, to keep Trump from being reelected, but secondly, so we have time to develop a vaccine because they will make money hand over fist with a vaccine, and they're not going to make it with chloroquine. And that's why they, Macron sided with, with this guy, again, showing his hand as a stooge of the oligarchs. Now, the oligarchy also has a foothold here in the United States. And, Absolutely. And they are pushing and, and basically guiding uh, the hand of, uh, of, of all the bishops that are members of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. And now we see how that worked out for the faithful, right? Yeah, you can, you can uh, download pornography, and you can get it for free now, because Pornhub is, uh, out of the goodness of their heart, are offering free subscriptions. But you can't go to Mass. You can go to, what's the difference? You can have an abortion, but you can't go to Mass. What's the difference between going to a supermarket and going to Mass? Well, I know there's a difference. I know there's a difference. You know what I mean? From the point of view of epidemiology, what's the difference? I don't see any difference here. And they could have had the, the original... Um, arrangement in South Bend in Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, was 
okay, don't take communion from the cup and stay, 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 keep apart, no kiss of peace. That was reasonable. Why couldn't we stay with that? Well, I don't know, because I think that the bishops have basically internalized this idea that scientists tell us what is real. Well, they, why do we give them that right to do that? And now we're suffering. Look at the, the worst example is Ireland. Ireland agreed with the scientists that abortion is a medical procedure. Mm. Well, guess what? You hand authority over to them, and they have locked you down in an absolutely ferocious act of tyranny on, uh, uh, in, to the Irish people. It's worse there than, than even in England in terms of the lockdown. Well, that's you did it. You did it because you handed your authority over to the scientists because you wanted permission to violate the moral law. And now look what happened to you. This is absolutely incredible. Uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones on the uh, Doomaker Hotline with us. Dr. Jones, we have five minutes left. So uh, people have been swarming me with questions. So I'm going to give my own first. If you have a question for Dr. Jones, put it in the chat room, crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Uh, you and Brother Andre talked last week. You talked a little bit about this. You and I had previously talked about Logos Rising and about how you could see the effect of scientism everywhere, including now in the sterility and the, the lack of imagination and architecture. So I wanted to share with you, I know that you're an international man of mystery. I know that you're an international man of intrigue. So you probably know what the people that edit uh, 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 First Things Magazine have in their magazine. Some good, some atrocious, some awful. But there is some good. There was a story in there two issues ago, and I thought of you as I was reading it. I said, wait a minute, Dr. Jones told me about this. There's a park going up in New uh, in Manhattan. It is that they, they took old buildings and they demolished them, raised them, and they had architecture and class and character to them. And they're putting up this, uh, I think it's called Sunshine Park, I want to say, and they're putting up these monstrosity towers that are just steel and glass. One of them pivots off at a 15-degree angle. And the guy that wrote the story goes, okay, I don't know whose idea this was, or who thinks that this is beautiful and, anyone, and that anyone will want to actually li live here. But they've actually started building this. And he said, anyone that knew what this area looked before should look at this as an absolute atrocity. This is science over humans now. Humans crave beauty. We do not crave the symmetry that scientism puts in to the Freedom Tower. We crave the beauty of the Flatiron Building. I want you to talk about that, if you would. Yeah, uh, well, that was, that was uh, Bauhaus was basically science in stone. That was his vision of the scientific future, where they, he called them von machining, uh, which I translated as living machines. That's the, the, the book that I wrote about uh, Bauhaus architecture. But it was the scientific brave new world, and everybody hated it. Everybody hated it. Nobody wanted to. And so after the first wave of Bauhaus went up, there was a reaction in, in the 70s, uh, 80s, and 90s where they started blowing up these buildings. Uh, and the reaction, so, so at a certain point, they, everybody got sick of it. And then the architecture broke into two strains. The Catholic strain and the Jewish strain. Okay. okay. And the Jewish strain was Frank Gehry. 
And you want to know what that looks like? It looks like the Jimi Hendrix Museum in Seattle, which looks like three trash bags sitting by the road waiting to be picked up. It's awful. It's hideous. The other, the other strain was Thomas Gordon Smith, and that was classical architecture, a return to Vitruvius. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, the, he was the professor of architecture at Notre Dame, Notre Dame University, and his protege was Duncan Stroik, who is now carrying on his tradition. Thomas Gordon Smith is retired. I did an article on them. That article is now included in Living Machines. Uh, but now the good news is that uh, Donald Trump has appointed Duncan Stroik as the guy who is going to oversee uh, new federal buildings. And new federal buildings are all going to be now classical architecture, what we would call the American uh, classical architecture. Uh, a good example of this would be uh, the... Uh, the uh, University Club in Manhattan, if you've been there before. It's absolutely beautiful building. It's McKim, Mead, and White. And we're talking about a return to that on the federal level, thanks to Donald Trump uh, appointing Duncan Stroik as the man to do it. Can I, can I ask you a quick, quick question? Uh, Duncan Stroik, uh, he was the, the professor emeritus of architecture at Notre Dame, correct? No, no. no. He's still professor. Thomas Gordon Smith is my age. He was uh, Duncan's teacher. Okay. And he brought Duncan to uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is still a professor at, at uh, Notre Dame. Okay. And he's also an architect. He did the chapel, the so-called chapel at Thomas Aquinas College, which is more like a basilica. But uh, anyway, it's a beautiful building. And he's done a number of uh, uh, good examples of church architecture. Okay. And so that's good news. Yeah, that's good news that uh, he is he is in charge of this because he's a man who has good taste and will return America to that tradition of those beautiful buildings. Love it. That, that like like the uh, Pennsylvania Station, which began the whole uh, anti uh, uh, urban renewal uh, thing when they tore it when they tore that building down. It was a tragedy for New York City. So, you know what it's like now. You and, and someone said before when Pennsylvania Station was there, we entered New York like gods, and now we enter like rats coming out of a sewer. <laughs> Final question, because I only got you for forty-five minutes. I'm going to keep my word. Final question for Doctor E. Michael Jones: Can you give advice to your average Catholic out there, thousands of them listening today on Monday Thursday, deprived of the Mass, deprived of the sacrifice? What do you advise for us? To do any course of action, uh, I know prayer. Of course, we're going to do that. But any course of action, what, what, what piece of advice would you give, please? I'd I'd like to re talk about that that parable of of the Jesus Christ asleep in the boat. This is this is a situation we're in. That 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 boat. Every church father says that the boat symbolized the church, and that the church is going to be tossed about by storms. And when this happens, it always seems that Jesus Christ is asleep. We're always in a position where we rush back and we say, don't you care that we're all going to die? Why are you sleeping? Well, that's, that's the situation we're going through right now. It seems that Christ is asleep. And so the only advice I can give is don't jump out of the boat, because that's instant death. You have to stay in the boat during the storm, and Christ will awake and he'll calm the storm, and that'll be the end of the story until the next storm comes. That's the situation of being in the church. That's my advice. 42 seconds that took. Wow. I think you should take this up as a vocation. What do you think? 
Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I'm going to place an order for Logos Rising today. I'll send it to you on uh, Twitter. And I thank you, as always, for your generosity and your time, for your great scholarship and your hard work, and for being a uh, – you gave us a laugh. You gave us some great things to think about. You, you, you tweaked our, uh, our intellect here on a Maundy Thursday in a good way. And for that, I thank you, brother. And I, I appreciate your time sincerely. Thank you, Dr. Jones. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. We'll talk soon, okay? Okay.